0: Let me ask you a question. This is a question that I'll ask anybody if we get together and we have a cup of coffee or we spend some time together, and that is this question. What has God been doing in your life lately? I want you to think think about that question. I want you to think deeply about it as if you and I are sitting across the table from each other right now having coffee and I was to boldly ask you that, not, 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 not to get in your business, but to get in your business at the same time, But and that is to say, what has God been teaching, doing in your life lately? Now, I want you to just dwell on that and, and then I want you to dive into that in a couple of different Specific questions: Where is God moving? Where is God working? What is He teaching me in recent days? Okay, and then what? What do you? what, What's your response to what God is doing? What is He saying, and what are you doing with what He is saying? Well, how have you changed your attitude? How have you changed your approach? Where have you changed your priorities? What are you doing in response to what he's been teaching you? Now, here's what I'm going to do, because I know as I ask that question, it just kind of dances across the the frontal lobe of your brain and bounces right off or passes through the muddy water, whatever it may be, and you're upstairs, okay? The the point is, is I want you to take time and I want you to answer this question. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to enter into a moment of silence, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Now, it's not long. And maybe you'll only have time to even begin the thought process on that. But there's a couple of blanks on your worship guide if you grabbed one of those on your way in. And I want you to take a moment and I want you to answer those two questions. What is God teaching me lately in recent days? And what am I doing in response to what God has been doing in my life? Okay? 60 seconds on the clock. Go for it. Why would I be so bold and so confident as to believe that God is at work in every single one of your lives? Why would I be so much so that God would work in, I would believe that God would work in your life and I don't even know who you are. Because even if you don't believe in God, I believe God's at work in your life. Even if you're an atheist, I believe that God is at work in your life. Now whether or not you will pause long enough, reflect deep enough to really isolate and say, you know what? I think God may be showing me this. I think God may be asking this of me. I don't know what it is, and it's different. It's, it's Baskin-Robbins of options that God may be doing in our lives today. But I absolutely believe it, not just because I believe it in my own heart, but I believe it based on the authority of Scripture that God is at work in us. And if you look in Philippians chapter 2, where we'll be focusing on today, you'll find where it declares it Bold and clear that God who works in you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now the thing is about whenever you get into understanding where God may be at work and where He's not at work or is He at work, sometimes you look at it and it says, Man, God is working so slow and sometimes He's working so fast and then you, sometimes you find yourself waiting on God. Sometimes you find yourself in this pattern where he's working really fast and he's like calling you and and you know that you're given a job opportunity and and you know you're supposed to move or you've been asked to take a position and he works really fast and sometimes he works really slow. It's like, God, where are you at? Sometimes he works very clearly and sometimes it's it's a bit of a fog. But I believe this as it says in Proverbs, that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter as the day is full. That means this, that as I walk with God, I will not have to wonder what God's will is for my life. That as I walk with God, His path, my path, will become quite clear. Now, sometimes God is at work, and He is not at work in pleasantries. He's not at work in blessings, as we would call them. Sometimes He works in pain, in loss in broken dreams, in broken ideas. Sometimes God is not at work in the ways that you wanted God to be at work or that you anticipated God to be at work or that you claimed some promise that God would be at work and you get frustrated with God. Now, here's just a challenge I want to have for every one of us. Never waste a pain. Because God will be at work in the waiting and God will be at work in the pain and you've got to ask, where is God at work in my waiting? Where is God at work in my pain? A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, It's doubtful if God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. There are just certain things that we go through in life that we wonder, why, God, did you allow this to happen? And, God, you you, you must be absent from my life. Or, God, you must have given up on me. And actually hasn't. He's using the pain. He's using the misfortunes to work in our life. May I remind you where Paul is pinning this letter from, but a prison in Rome where it's believed that just a few short years later he will be beheaded at the hands of Nero. Paul is on his deathbed, you might say, walking on, uh, nearly to the point of death, giving up his life, and yet he can still say in the midst of that that the God of the universe is at work even in the pain. Where is God at work in our life? You look at chapter 2 of Philippians where we're going to continue our study now. You'll notice I've skipped over a large section of the Scriptures there that's a very important passage of Scripture. It's actually a first century hymn that I'm not talking about because about about two months ago I actually shared from Philippians chapter 2 in that same passage. And so you can go back online in the Read Jesus series and re-listen to that message. And so I'm not going to break down that section, but I'm not skipping over it because it's not important. In fact, it may be the most important passage in the entire book of Philippians just on who Christ is and His role in our life. But we did that a few weeks ago. So we're going to skip forward to verse 12 today. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice this. He says, you are always obeying. Now, here's one thing about it. Whether you're in pain or you're in a a moment of blessings and dancing through the daisies of life, there's one thing that should mark all of our lives is a trusted obedience to the plan and the will of God. It's not always easy. I know it. I get it. But there must be something that marks our life, that we are fully obedient. As we define a disciple around here, it's a person who is fully obedient, multipliers following Jesus. Well, just as he said here about these believers in Philippi, you are always obeying. You're not just obeying when I'm around. You're not just obeying whenever the elders are around. You're not just obeying when the uh, overseers are around. You are always obeying. That's the reputation. There's no hypocrisy in you. You are fully obedient. And that is a beautiful uh, uh, marker that we should put in our lives. And that's verse 12. And then we skip to, now we go to verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you. You work out what God has put in you, the salvation, because it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, I like that because it tells me that that there's a will and God is going to transform my will. That's my being, but He's also going to transform my doing, the work. So there's a being element in being this follower of Christ and there's this doing element in being this follower of Christ and that God is at work in me both to will change who i am and how i think and how i process and how i emote and how i do my life on the inside who i am who who my being is but he's also going to transform my doing to work to out to to live out according to his good pleasures so as I walk with God, God is going to continue to work in me in this beautiful, life-transforming way. It's what he was saying in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when he said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work in you. He's doing a good work in you. He's changing your being and your doing. He's changing all of who you are And by the way, let me emphasize this. It's not just the the doing that he changes. That's religion. If you'll do this and do this and do that, that's religion, okay? He's not changing us to be religious people. He's changing our being, who we are, the will of who we are, the emotions of who we are, the way we process and the way we think and the way we emote. He's changing all of that and he's changing how we live out our life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is another t- passage of scripture where he says, For we are God's masterpieces. Masterpieces, that's actually a, a, a term that was used in the first century for art, okay? God is an artist. We are the canvas. God is an artist and we're the piece of clay. God is the artist and he's the one who's shaping us. We are God's masterpiece, who he created anew in Christ Jesus so that we would do good things. The good things that he planned for us long ago. So God is at work. How are you responding to God at work? God is speaking. How are you responding to God speaking in your life? I ask that, that you look deeply in your heart and your soul because that, those questions right there are where, where Paul is now going to turn and he's going to say, hey, if God is at work in your life, here's a few evidences of his good work for his good pleasure. When he's transforming our will, when he's transforming what we do, when he's transforming how we be and how we do in life, then you will see this in a couple of ways. These are evidences, if you will. And so let's just read the passage together that falls immediately after that. So both, again, as we said, God who works in you, this is Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. So the God who works in you, what does he say next? He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Notice all these words that you may be blameless, innocent, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you are. You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul has spent all this time for about a decade and a half, he has spent all this time pouring in, investing in Philippi. And he says, listen, I don't want to have done everything that I've done to have done it in vain. I want you doing this as an evidence of God at work in you. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad And rejoice with you. All, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's talk about these evidences of when God is at work changing our being and changing our doing. There will be evidences of that. Again, changing our being and changing our doing, not just so we'll do much more to-do lists, not we'll attend more meetings, and not so that we will uh, just have a, have a litany of things that we got to do to be religious. That's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to a changed person, a better person, a better life. And one of those evidences is that my attitude gets an upgrade. My attitude will be upgraded in life. And when I talk about that, you 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 gotta admit that some of the things in life that, that really stink about life, they tear us down about life, that we grumble about life, that we go on about life. This is just it just adds on pessimism on top of pessimism. When you look at this passage in verse 14, he says this do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation among which you shine as lights in the world. So let's talk about this whole idea of pessimistic attitudes, negativity, grumbling, murmuring, complaining. Whenever I allow God to work in me, He changes my attitude. He gives me a different perspective, a different attitude on life. Listen, it will change the quality and the quantity of your life if we will have better attitudes about life. Mayo Clinic has found that the effects of a positive outlook on somebody that optimists live 20% longer than those that are pessimistic. You can literally add one-fifth more to your life by having the right kind of attitude. Howard Hendricks said this, he said, hardening of the attitude is more devastating than the hardening of the arteries. Not a bad thing. When I think about a podcast that I heard just this past week, where 84% of the diseases across our land today are because of the life in the Western American world, are because of the lifestyle choices that we make. We literally bring on 84% of the diseases and the pains and the aches and the sicknesses that we have to go medicate and that we have to go see the doctor about again and again. I was even talking to my local doctor one time about the number of people that are in the waiting room and how many of those out there, and he couldn't tell me obviously HIPAA, couldn't talk about the people, but he said most of the people that I see on a day-to-day basis is because of the lifestyle choices that they live. The problems that we face today in the Western developed world, the sicknesses that we face are because we bring them on ourselves. Well, let me say this. The sickness of a bad attitude is something that we bring on ourselves. We choose it. We choose our attitudes. We choose how we're going to respond. Attitude, someone said, is 80% actually what happens to us and 100% of how we respond to what happens to us. There's so many things that will happen in our life that happen to other people that why is it that we get varying types of responses and attitudes? It's many times because we are not hearing and walking with God at a deep level in our life. And let me say this to you. It may be the greatest indicator of your walk with God would not be how many verses of Scripture did you memorize this past year or how long is your prayer time or, 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 or how many Bible studies are you a part of. Maybe the greatest indicator of your walk with God may be your attitude. The attitude that you have in life. I mean, don't take my word for it, Take the Scripture's word for it. Look at verse 15. What does it say there? That you would be blameless, innocent, without blemish, Notice that you're blameless. These are words that, that describe a person who's got their life together. Describe a person who's who's figured some things out, who, who has the right attitude and the right perspective. So I want us to memorize a verse today, okay? And let it be the verse that we meditate all, all week long. Every time the boss lets us down, our spouse lets us down, our kids let us down, life lets us down, promises are broken. Every time one of these things happens, I want us to come back to Second or to Philippians chapter two, and I want us to remember and. And recall these seven simple words. Verse 14, let's look at it together, okay? I want you to read it out loud with me. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Say it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Say it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now just break it down. When I memorize a verse, I break it down. Do. That's the doing of life. That's the way I emote. That's the way I transfer and transact with people. The way I I go into work. The way I go into life. The way I do life. And how many things? Do all things. Not some things. Not whenever I deal with this person at the job. I'm going to show lots of patience and love and tenderness but when I go home I'm going to kick the dog and yell at the kids and that's going to be how I'm going to live my life no 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 you're going to do all things you're going to do all things without minus take it out of my life I got to extract it from my attitude I got to extract it from my life what grumbling you know what grumbling is it's the half uttered half concealed complaint it's what you tell your friend, but you won't tell your spouse about your... You, it's what you, you think about your spouse, but you won't tell your spouse, but you'll tell your friends. It's what you think about your boss, but you won't go to your boss and talk to your boss in an open, closed-door conversation. This is what I'm really feeling, what's going on in our relationship. It's whenever we, 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 we want to complain, and we want to complain, and we want to complain, but we don't complain to the right person at the right time and the right attitude. So here's the McDaniel paraphrase or amplification of this verse, okay? Look at it. Throw it up on the screen, guys. If you don't have everyone in the part of the problem in the room at the time, at that time, at the time, you will, ne- you will not find a solution, but will only create a bigger problem. So keep your pie hole shut. I like that last part. If not everyone's in the room at the time to fix the problem, then quit talking about it. Do all things, say it with me again, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Say it again, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Give yourself a star, you just memorized a verse, just like your kids will do in kids' church today. And hopefully we will go out of this world and we will practice this because these are some of the greatest indicators of a person who's walking with God because it points to the fact that they, they, they get on this track that they become Blemish, uh, uh, blameless, they become innocent, they become living without blemish. You know, attitude is like clothing that you put on. It's like the clothing you put on, it makes a statement about you. Okay, so many of y'all have told me, You've got a suit on today, Mike, what's the deal? And I, I thought, Okay, I'm gonna have all these good looking kids up here and they're all going to be dressed to the nines, and I'm going to have my jeans with holes in them and a, and a T-shirt on. I can't be the, the bum on the stage, and so I had to put a suit on. What does it say? I'm trying to have an attitude today that is a little bit more professional so when these kids turn 12 and they look back at these photos, they'll say, who's that bum on the stage? <laughs> the attitude of your dress. Think about this. The attitude that you put on every day is, is a clothing that people begin to see you wear. They see you across a parking lot. I've never even heard of it like this. It's called the parking lot test. People don't want to see you coming and they'll go in the other way when they see you coming across the parking lot. They get excited when you're coming across the parking lot. When they get close to you, if you're wearing the same clothes all the time, do you think you're going to smell okay? No. You're going to begin to stink unless you take your clothes off and wash your attitude. Do all things everything, every absolute thing without grumbling or disputing. Because this is what happens. This is what happens. Whenever you enter the room as a person with a negative attitude, it's like darkness takes over the place. And when darkness takes over the place, when darkness takes over the room, You are fearful. You don't feel secure. But what happens whenever the right attitude enters the room? Verse 15 says, You shine as lights in the world. When you have the right attitude, you brighten another person's life. Do all things without complaining, murmuring, Number two, there's a steadiness in your steps. When you're the evidence that God is walking and speaking and working in your life, there's a steadiness in your steps, there's a consistency. Now, later on, we're going to read, come June, we're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, one of the most common ver- quoted verses in, in Philippians where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But actually, it's one of the most misquoted verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's one of the most misquoted verses in Philippians as well. Because really what Paul was saying in that context, he was talking about the circumstances of his life. He said, I realize realize rich or poor, young or old, I remember whatever circumstances, I have learned this, to be content and that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. There's a steadiness in our steps. There's a lot of people who don't have a steadiness in their faith. They waffle, they're in, they're out, they're committed, they're in, they're out, they're tossed down, they're blown over by every little thing. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says it like this, then You will no longer be immature like children who won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. James chapter 1, verse 8 says, A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Notice this. It uses this metaphor of being tossed by the wind to and fro. James uses the metaphor of being an unstable man, unstable on his feet. What's this whole thing talking about? When you go to Psalm chapter 1, Verse 1 and 3, it's got this beautiful, beautiful promise that blesses is the, the, the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the, in, in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. Firmly planted is what it says in the New American Standard, how I've memorized it, firmly planted by the rivers of water. yields its fruit in season. One of the evidences of a person who is sure foot, who who is walking, and God is at work in their life, is there's not waffling in their faith. They're not double minded, committed today and uncommitted tomorrow. They're not in today and out tomorrow. They're not. They're 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 firmly planted. They're firmly planted. There's a consistency of 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 who they are and how they walk. This is what Paul says in verse verse sixteen. Notice what he said here. He said, um. This is holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast. It's this present active participle here. this is this, this verbal adjective construct here, where he's talking about how present it's something that, that, that's happening now. It's active. It's something that you're doing. It's, it's this descriptive of something that, you're, that's, that, that you are doing throughout life. You're able to hold fast. You're able to go through the ups and the downs. Paul says it in six other times in the scripture. He says, Stand firm. Some, their faith is so weak and their commitments are so shallow that they'll move churches and they'll move marriages and they'll move jobs and they'll change and they're constantly looking out there for the next brightest best. And all along, God is trying to cause them to grow deeper. And you're going to grow deeper in the seasons of life. You're going to grow deeper through the summer and drought. Whenever you're starving for water, you're going to grow deeper in life i remember we were had some land and we were putting some pine trees up and this person who's kind of the tree doctor said you need to plant these in the fall i'm thinking the fall but you need to plant them in the spring and she, had, she explained to me that really what you do is you plant them in the fall and i'm thinking winter harsh winter gonna they're not gonna make it She says, no what they'll do is their root system will grow deeper in the winter and then in the spring they'll grow taller They'll grow deeper through the winters. And I thought about that about life. You know, some of y'all right now, you look at the seasons that you're in. What season are you in? Are you in the season of promise of spring where everything's blooming and you can dance in the daisies? Those are great days, right? I'll promise you, you won't grow long because summer will come. Summer will come and a drought will come and it will... Life will be being sucked out of you. And then you'll come to those autumn, those reflective seasons whenever you experience a little of God's grace and water and refreshment. At the same time, you've had this, this dying away, this peeling off of your life. And then you'll come to winter again. And I don't know where you're at, but I'll tell you this. A person who's walking with God will be able to make it through all the seasons of life. You think, right now, Mike, I am on the, I'm on the brim of dying. I get it. And this is where you need to be writing down and journaling and, and meeting with God more fervently than ever before and listening for God, where you at work? How are you moving? And how can I respond to where you're moving? Lastly, is my output and my outlook are contagious? You know, whenever a person's walking with God, you just, you just go to them. You're just drawn to them. A person who's walking with God, and who's mature in their faith, there's a, there's a willingness to sacrifice and to commit. Their output is very clear. When it says in verse 17 here, he said, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, He was in prison for being a Christian, for sharing the faith across the Roman government, across the colonies, across the the lands, across the the empire, of the Roman Empire. And and Philippi was one of those places. So he was in jail for preaching, if you will, in Philippi to some degree. I'm being poured out for your faith. What's the next words? I am glad and I will rejoice and likewise... You also should be glad and rejoice. You should be glad and rejoice. He's calling them to a, to a different life with a different attitude that's contagious, that that's attractive, that draws you in. You know, again, if you're the person who's waiting for the rain to stop, if you're the one who's, who's in a drought and waiting for the rain to begin, if, and then you're going to start living right, and then you're going to have the right attitude, and then you're, going to, and you're waiting for all the circumstances of your life to, to line up, and then you're going to rejoice, and then you're going to sing praises to God again, then you will be waiting a very long time. But it's learning to rejoice and Be glad. In this season, where you're at. With what's happening or with what's not happening. And as Paul is rejoicing, he's calling us to rejoice. As you are going through your seasons, I'm calling you to go to rejoice. I can remember when I was thirty years old living in in in, in Zambia with my family, young family. I went through a bit of... I think I went through my midlife crisis then at 30. 40s was great. I love 40. Um, 50s around the corner. We'll see about that one. But 30, I looked at it and I go, man, is is this my life? I'm living in the middle of Africa. I'm a family. The people, I don't speak their language and I'm trying to get to know them. I really felt an emptiness, uh, a, a lack of, what is this what my life is destined to? I can look back at those years now. and I say, thank you, God, for those years. Because as I was there and my family were there, we were there to present the gospel to these people that were unreached, and we did. And we saw God do some beautiful things. But it was not just that he was going to do beautiful things through us, he was doing beautiful work in us as well. And the in us work was a part that I didn't anticipate because it was the in us work that the nationals, the Zambian nationals taught me because they taught me a lot about how to worship God and express my worship to God. They taught me a lot about, about what was really important, the things of life or the people in life as I would eat and sleep and and do life with people who would live on a dollar fifty a day. And I realize that a lot of the things that I'm chasing in this American dream is really just empty. It's really just leaving me empty at the end of the day. I learned to appreciate people. So much so that I even had two conversations this past week with two of my Zambian brothers, one and a sister, of which we are still in contact with. I say all that to say... You know, sometimes God puts us in those midlife crisis, identity crisis, life gut checking moments so that he can do his greatest and deepest work in us. Will we be glad? It wasn't until I came back to the States that I came across this African proverb If you can talk, you can sing, if you can walk, you can dance. Simplicity of life. If I can talk, I can sing praises to God. If I can walk, I can dance. I call you to keep dancing. Rejoice and be glad. No matter what the circumstances, do not let the circumstances dictate your life's joy. Allow that relationship with Christ and then let it transform your life your face, your, your living, your attitude. Allow that to put a joy in your step again. Allow that to put you firmly planted in life so that whenever the winds come and the storms come and the droughts come, you will be able to stand. But you're going to have to trust God in the midst of it all. Would you pray with me? I want you to just be very still for a moment. And think about the thing that doesn't mark you. Isn't an evidence in your life that you are experiencing the work of God? Have you begun to waffle like a double-minded man or woman? You begun to grow weak in your faith. Are you a person who has lost your joy and ability to rejoice and be glad? Don't try to compare your tough, difficult life to mine or anyone else's. Look at Paul. His life was on the line. But he had a contagious faith. Courageous faith. What about what about your attitude? Are you a grumbler? A complainer? Father, you know our hearts. And we want to be able to say, the God who is at work in us, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure." Lord, I pray my life will so bring pleasure to your name and to your person. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're wanting.